You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Good morning and welcome to Out of the Blue on Sunday the 17th of May. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio, 855am. You can stream our show online at www.3cr.org.au forward slash Radio Blue, where you'll also find our podcast. To keep up to date with the latest ocean news, follow our Facebook page at Out of the Blue Radio. We acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land 3CR is broadcasting from and pay our respects to their elders past and present and to future generations. My name is James Whitmore and in today's episode we're going to be talking to someone who has done a lot of thinking about whales. We'll be right back after this announcement. Do you need to renew your subscription? Make a donation. Or pass on some information to a programmer. We can't get to the phone all the time right now, but we're still here. You can call us on 03 94198377. Each weekday between 1 and 5pm and talk to a staff member. That's 03 9419837. 3CR Community Radio, here to stay. you can hear is of course the song of a whale. There are few creatures that have captured our imaginations as much as whales. For a long time we hunted these creatures and used their bodies for fuel, meat and a huge number of other products. In the 20th century alone at least 3 million whales were taken from the oceans until a moratorium on whaling in 1982. Some whale populations were reduced by 85%. The global movement against whaling was one of the first big successes of the environmental movement but now whales face new threats from noise pollution to plastics to climate change. In her wonderful new book, Fathoms, Rebecca Giggs argues that whales are a symbol of the far-reaching impacts we're having on the environment. She makes a case that whales can help us care for nature in new ways. I spoke to Rebecca last week in London via Zoom. So Rebecca, thank you so much for joining me on Out of the Blue. Thanks for having me, James. Your book, Fathoms, is a book about whales, but it's also about lots of other things. Could you start perhaps by telling us what your book is about in your own words? So the idea for the book started a number of years ago now when I helped out at a whale beaching in Perth, not far from where I was living at the time. This yearling humpback had stranded on a sand spit. And we managed to get it out in that instance, but over the next few days, it returned back to the sand and it stranded again. And while it was dying, a huge crowd came down to see the whale. Some people bought their children, other people bought their dogs on leashes, and everyone had a theory as to why the whale had run aground. Some people said to me that it must be sick, Some people thought that it might have been attacked by sharks or killer whales, even though it didn't seem to have any particular injuries. And then someone even told me that they thought that whales stranded because of falling stars. 
and there'd been a falling star over Rottnest Island the week prior. So I was very interested in those explanations because of the ways that they pointed to different understandings of the way events happen in the natural world. And that's where I started really with people's theories for why whales strand. But later the book broadened into looking much more at the surprising ways that we are connected in our everyday lives to even the most remote environments and the most stupendous wildlife that's found there. Mm. Yeah, I'm really interested in that stranding as the incitement for you to begin investigating these. Um, But it struck me that you must have had sort of an environmental consciousness before then. So do you know where that might have come from? I mean, I had a really fantastic saltwater childhood. Mm. I grew up, um, my mother's from the southwest coast of Western Australia. So while we grew up in Perth near the beaches, we also spent a lot of time down near Albany. And I think perhaps I'd started to write about the oceans far earlier than this book when I was still writing short fiction But I still had this romanticised notion of the space between the sea and the land as being this uh, romantic, transgressive space. You know, you see a lot of this in the writing of Tim Winton, for example. And then in 2004, the Boxing Day tsunami happened. And while I had no direct contact with that event, I think for me that really changed the way in which the beach is perceived And I began to think of it as a much more haunted space and a space of, you know, where disaster is possible on a grand scale, even though those disasters are in many cases far less conspicuous if they're environmental disasters, because we can't actually, with our own bodies, feel the change in temperature or feel the chemistry of the ocean changing as it is because of marine acidity. And so I started writing about the oceans as a place of uncanniness. And I think that's where I began thinking about environmental um, concerns in the ocean way back then. But it took some years before I found the right form, I think, for expressing these stories. Mm. As I understand it, you teach or practice in the field of environmental philosophy and I'm wondering, perhaps not many, that many people are familiar with that field. Could you tell us a bit about the field of environmental philosophy and why it's important? Yeah, so I did a PhD in this area, actually, some years ago, though I'm not teaching now. Um, I do still teach a little bit of creative practice from time to time, um, but it's been some years since I taught um, environmental philosophy. Um, I mean, really, the, the emphasis in that area is thinking about the ways in which culture responds to this scientific moment that we find ourselves in. And I think in Fathoms, really, there's something in the texture of the book that it's not straight science communication. It's not just taking the findings of scientists and putting them in a language that non-scientific people can metabolise. It's much more about the ways in which the stories that are in our culture already shape the way that we understand the science. And so it's kind of about, you know, having scientific literacies, but also receiving that information through culture. And I'll give you an example. You know, in our culture, we have, of course, the story of 
Jonah <laughs> being swallowed whole by the whale. And so when a whale turns up and it's full of plastic objects, um, as they do because they consume um, synthetic waste that's ejected into the sea, there's something that seems especially portentous about that moment because we know this story. We have this story in our, our culture already to some extent, the whale that turns up containing something human within it. And it's so it gets kind of amplified. And I guess my interest in environmental philosophy was really bringing together those two different ways of looking at the world, the scientific way and the cultural way and finding um, uh, sort of analytic ways of talking about that. Mm. And you really kind of make whales new um, and strange in your book. And one of the first of many surprising moments for me was when you describe the fact that whales don't really have a face. Well, I have a very different face to what we would normally imagine. And they're a bit spooky. Yeah. yeah. I think part of the project as well was thinking about the ways in which imagining the senses that other species have can open up for us different experiences of environmental change. And so I was interested in the face of the whale, particularly because I was concerned about vision. You read a lot of whale books in which the author has an encounter eye to eye with the largest animal on the face of the planet. And it's a sort of ecstatic moment of cross-species communication. But of course, whale vision is in fact very poor. Mm. And so, you know, there are much more animals that live in sound and their sensitivity to sound is so exquisite that we can scarcely imagine, I think, what it must mean to now be living in a sea that's extremely noisy. So, um, yeah, I, I was interested in uh, the, the, the face of the animal because it got me into discussing its senses. Mm. And just speaking of whales as these kind of oral beings, we're hearing a lot about, as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic, wild animals seen on city streets, reduction in trade and shipping even. Um, and in the book, you do describe the reduction in shipping after 9-11 giving whales a break, they become less stressed. Well, after 9-11, there was a fascinating study taking place already in the Bay of Fundy, looking at right whales and essentially taking samples from the animals to determine how much of the stress hormones they had within them. And when non-essential boating was suspended, in the wake of the terrorist attacks, the scientists noticed that those stress hormones dropped dramatically. So we do believe, I think, based on those sorts of studies, that whales are afflicted by industrial noise in the oceans. And there's no doubt that as uh, the reduction in trade and certainly international travel as a result of the pandemic um, is taking place that um, whales are moving back into shipping lanes, for example, where they haven't been seen for some time now. Um, anecdotally, there's, there's evidence to show that they're singing louder and longer. But one of the most surprising findings that I looked into in this book is the fact that even where there is no industrial noise in the oceans, we are radically changing the sounds that different animals make. So the blue whales in the Antarctic, their voices have dropped the equivalent of three white notes on a piano in recent decades. 
And there are two theories as to why that might be. Of course, there's not a great deal of industrial activity around that where they live for most of their lives down in the Antarctic. Um, one theory is very positive and it suggests that as we've increased the number of whales in the ocean as a result of conservation efforts, there's simply more whales in the sea, they're communicating over shorter distances and so they don't have to sing as loudly. Basically when the whales sing more softly, their pitch is, is lower. But then their voices have also started to go up in the summertime because there's simply more ice that's breaking up. And the clamour of ice means that they're forced to be um, louder to overcome those, um, those sounds as well, which means that, of course, climate change is affecting how it is that their voices operate. So, um, and the other factor is marine acidification may well be changing the ways in which those animals sing as well, because it tends to amplify the sound overall in the oceans. And I think that was really amazing to me that even in places where we do not go, the effects of human activity extend to influence the ways that individual animals make noise. It's incredible the connections that, and kind of scary really, the, the impact that we have on these areas of the world that we think of as kind of untouched. Yeah, I think it can be quite humiliating, uh, you know, both in the productive sense of made, mm, to make you feel humble, but also, you know, sort of diminishing to your, um, your sense of self when you make those realizations. But then on the other side, it's like, well, if your life is attached in some way to change that far out in the oceans, well, so too is your power to make change and to influence um, those environments as well. So, um, you know, I think one big message of the book is that um, we are all kind of enmeshed within a global ecology now, and that means different sets of responsibilities. You're right um, that a way out of this ecological mess is to care for unmet things and to expand our boundaries of care. How do you think we can actually do that? Yeah, well, I mean, a whale is a, a wonderful articulation of that. People in the 1980s really cared for whales, not necessarily because they encountered them day to day, but because they represented a mysterious deep sea world that people wished would be preserved, um, regardless of whether or not they spent time in it. And so the whale is almost like a bit of a Trojan horse for thinking about these things. In the, in the coming decades, we will be called to care for so many different sorts of life and so many different sorts of people that are very far away from us. And I think I really wanted to get into people's minds that if you can feel for something like a whale, well, you can feel for change that is remote and you can feel for the unmet victims of environmental change. Um, you know, you don't need to be a particularly sensitive person to, to feel for a whale. Uh, so, yeah, that, that also was something that I was uh, uh, seeking to put into the top of people's minds. We're going to be hearing more from Rebecca after the break, so stick around. But first, we've got a new song from TK Meidzer. This is Shook. There's a minor language warning on this one. You're listening to Out of the Blue on 3CR. Switch it up, move and you get it up. Switch it up, move and you're working out. Switch it up, move and you're working out. 
These mans, yeah, I got them all shook Earthquake, yeah, I got them all shook I came out of play by the book Yeah, I make the bands, yeah, I got them all shook These mans looking at me all shook Talk about it, but they're never gonna do it I came out of play by the book Yeah, I make the bands, yeah, I got them all shook these bitches skeptic on a higher metric Then these frauds tryna fit in, got them playing Tetris I go by the name, written on my necklace Never been about the games unless you want a death wish First come, first serve basis To a flip, to a racist I bet the G niggas tryna get in my fraction Like Jackson, putting into bed with a napkin Platinum plaques coming dreams like a Malcolm Big ass rims going forward in a Falcon Came into the biz, said I wouldn't, boy, damn Then I made the city pop, now I am the study quiz These mans, yeah, I got them all shook Earthquake, yeah, I got them all shook I came out of play by the book Yeah, I make the bands, yeah, I got them all shook These men's looking at me all shook Talk about it, but they're never gonna do it I came out of play by the book Yeah, I make the bands, yeah, I got them all shook Got a drip lock, fit is looking pish posh I be in my bag, I don't dance around TikTok Gold on my wings like I'm Huckleberry Finn Blown like a bubble popping all up in the wind Flow paraffin, holes like I'm Ferg House in the burbs, I flip the bird I flip the words, snug with the guns Peter pop a question, couldn't get me on a run like Part of me don't really care Pardon those in my DMs, I be looking in my ear Intuition with a vision, see my future really clear I'm strapped in a seat, boom boom And I'm there, I swerve I'm bitches, why they even got nerve? Outside, they be looking like squirrel. No time for a hater, I squirrel. Ching, if you got him pulling my nerves. Yeah, I got them all shook. Earthquake, yeah, I got them all shook. I came out of play by the book. Yeah, I make the bands, yeah, I got them all shook. These men's looking at me all shook. Talk about it, but they're never gonna do it. I came out of play by the book. Yeah, I make the bands, yeah, I got them all shook. Hi, we're the Marindas and you're listening to 3CR Community Radio 855 AM. That was TK Miser with her new song Shook. You're listening to Out of the Blue on 3CR. I've been talking to Rebecca Giggs about her new book, Fathoms. We've heard how whales are symbols of our impact on the oceans, but now let's find out about whaling and how we came to care for them. The rise of the anti-whaling movement in the 70s and 80s you describe is sort of an example of one of the first times that we came together as an international community to do something for the environment. But I just wanted something really interesting that you note is that Whaling didn't stop as it became uneconomic. Actually, we found just new ways to sell whale products. And that is quite an unnerving idea. And what do you think that might mean as we struggle to address climate change? Yeah, so economic change is no longer enough without cultural change. That was my big takeaway from that bit of research as well, because whaling continued long after it had ceased to be economic in the 20th century. People often think about whaling as being a 19th century industry um, because it was so integral to manufacturing whale oil and uh, to consumer culture in the 19th century. 
But in the 20th century, we continued to take whales. Between the 1900s and uh, between 1900 and 1999, some estimated 3 million cetaceans were taken out of the oceans, which is just a huge amount of biomass. And so whaling continued even after the uses for whale oil were diminished and had become much more, um, rather than being sort of integral to industry, had become more associated with luxury products and with, paradoxically, with the space race as well, because whale oil uh, comes to be used in, um, to lubricate the mechanisms in munitions and also to some extent in um, satellites. And so it, it's, uh, it becomes a kind of strategic um, reserve to keep whale oil, despite the fact that it's not very economic. So I really, I think that um, the lesson from that is that we need to have cultural change alongside economic change. But then I also take heart from the fact that Australia, despite the fact that it was the last English speaking nation to cease commercial whaling was also the first nation to do so on the basis that whales themselves were exceptional animals and worth protecting not just as a fishery but as a you know a, a marvel of nature and so i do think it gives us um, cause to reflect that we can make really big pivots it's interesting that australia went from sort of being the last to being the first to celebrate whales. And since then, Australia has celebrated itself, really, for taking Japan to task for scientific whaling in the Southern Ocean, or what it calls scientific mm. whaling in the Southern Ocean. How can we rationalise those nations that continue to harvest whales with uh, those nations that see whales as incredibly charismatic? So, I mean, there's a few lines of argument there. One thing is important to acknowledge, I think, now that Japanese whaling is only the most visible of the threats that face whale species today. And in comparison to the number of animals that are impacted by change in the oceans that's environmental, it's in fact quite a minor um, concern for whale populations overall. The Japanese continued their scientific whaling until 2019 when they um, withdrew from the Southern Ocean, which is good news uh, for the whale populations that are found there. And now they're whaling for meat um, in their, the oceans that surround Japan, so within their exclusive economic zone. But I think my big takeaway from going to Japan and looking back at the way people perceive whales in Australia with a bit more Japanese context was that the charisma of the animals that we use to justify their protection is not absent from Japanese culture. It just is a way to justify consumption of a different nature. Mm. So the Japanese still see whales as charismatic animals. They just don't see that as a barrier to their being a part of the diet. So in the book, you talk about this idea that during the anti-whaling campaigns, technology was a way that brought whales to us and made us care about them. But now technology through platforms such as Instagram seems to have become more of a threat. Can you tell us about that? I really wanted to have a section in this book that was focused on the ways in which we encounter nature in the digital realm. 
not just within the oceans itself. Because increasingly, that is the platform by which people experience nature, is photographically, not just in writing or not just in audio, but um, via social media. And my feeling was that in many cases, when we look at the nature that we see online, it's been brushed up to be this lush, perfected environment. And for some people that may be seen as a kind of escapism from the environmental moment that we find ourselves in at this point. But I really saw it as a way of grieving the loss that we feel for this era, for this time of mass extinction, this time of um, you know, huge bio, biomass loss, that we would have this very brushed up lush nature online. Um, so part of the book is dedicated to thinking through those ideas and really thinking about what are the ways in which we've pathologized our feelings of loss in this moment. A term that um, comes up throughout your book is deformation. I'm wondering, could you explain that for us and why we need to understand what that means? Deformation is a really young term in the scientific literature. It's only been around in the last five or so years. But essentially, it's a way of talking about the loss of animal biomass within an ecology before extinction takes place. So if we're interested in conservation, you know, the language over the recent years has been much more focused on the number of species in an ecology, so talking about biodiversity, or whether or not extinctions are happening, species, species disappearance. But deformation points to the fact that you don't need for an entire species to go extinct before there are ecological consequences to reducing those animals. And, uh, you know, we hear it a lot in the context of the insect apocalypse, which is a term that's on a lot of minds at the moment, the disappearance of, of large insect populations around the world. Um, so, yeah, it, it's a way of pointing to um, uh, the, the dramatic environmental consequences of removing large numbers of animals from the environment, even if that doesn't result in extinction. And another term that comes up is, throughout the book is you wrestle with this idea that wild animals are now haunted. What do you mean by that? Yeah, so, you know, the natural world in ancient history was really regarded as being a place in which to receive moral instruction. So in ancient Rome, you had fortune tellers who would um, look to bestiaries and fables, or they'd pick through the entrails of animals to discern what might happen in the future. They might look at where the birds appeared, what quarter of the sky, when they were telling their patrons whether or not to get married or whether to wage a war. And then in the, year, in the time of the professionalisation of the natural sciences, that way of understanding the world really fell away. But my feeling now is that there is a new kind of hauntedness in wild animals and our encounters with them. And it's a spectre that's kind of related to environmental change in the sense that when we see animals doing things that they haven't done before or appearing in different habitats or changing their diets, our apprehension is that we have done something to cause those changes, even if we haven't currently diagnosed those reasons yet. 
we have a feeling like we stand in the wake of some sort of environmental change that we haven't yet fully comprehended. And that makes animals once more a source of moral instruction. Um, so yeah, that, that was really what I was talking about when in the book when I talk about the hauntedness of wild animals is that kind of spooky encounter feeling like perhaps the way that they're behaving or perhaps the, yeah, where we're seeing them has something to do with the ways that we've changed the world. Rebecca, thank you so much for joining us on Out of the Blue. Thanks, James. They were wonderful questions. I appreciate the time. <laughs> that was Rebecca Giggs. Her new book, Fathoms, is out now, and you can find it in your favourite independent bookstore. It's a beautiful orange book with a green whale's tail on the cover. You've been listening to Out of the Blue on 3CR Community Radio. To listen to this episode again, or any of our previous episodes, head to www.3cr.org.au forward slash Radio Blue, where you'll find our podcast and follow our Facebook page, Out of the Blue Radio, for updates. See you next week and stay well. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.